Hello and welcome to this episode of Better Off Read. My name is Pip Adam. Um, this is episode 110, but perhaps more auspiciously, um, it is the first um, episode in our Beyond a Joke series. So um, yeah, this for the next year, um, I am going to be making um, this series called Beyond a Joke, where um, I speak with folk about things that make them laugh. Um, as a way into a conversation about writing, humour and art. So um, in this first episode, I'm going to speak with Anna Jackson um, about a single cell from a Peanuts cartoon um, where Stoompy is pretending to be a cow. Um, it's hilarious. Um, well, I thought it was hilarious. Um, and yeah, it, it was a really great conversation with Anna. I really, really um, appreciated um and are taking the time so that we could chat. Um, we spoke on the week that Anna's new book came out, Actions and Travels, How Poetry Works, which is out by Auckland University Press. And we talk a little bit about that. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful book. Oh my gosh, can't recommend it highly enough. So um, Anna um, sent a great list of links, which is on our website, better-read.com. But also you will receive um, as part of your Substack newsletter. So yes, we are um, in the process of shifting. I say we, but it's just me. I am in the process of shifting um, Better Off Read um, from one platform to Substack so um, if you would be willing to head over to Substack and subscribe that would be amazing um, then um, we will have everything in one place it'll be very nice you can subscribe to the newsletter for free but there's also an option to um, make a financial contribution which is very appreciated um, thank you to everyone who has already done that um, it means heaps so um, yes I think that's everything I have to tell you amazing episode with Anna Jackson um, all the information is on the website and the newsletter um, come on over to Substack come on over to Substack and um, subscribe um, to uh, yeah Better Off Read at Substack okay thank you so much for listening hi Anna how are you hi Pip really good I'm really good it's good to talk to you it's lovely to see you and yeah thanks so much for coming to talk about among other things, your amazing book, which is really exciting. I've just absolutely loved it. Um, I wonder if we could start with you introducing yourself. Yes, I'm Anna Jackson. I see myself as someone driven from poem to poem by a fire in the head, like the wandering Angus of the Yeats poem that I love so much or like Anne Carson's poet running through the burning house of literature. Um, I um, grew up in Auckland. My ancestors came to New Zealand from England on the Ellen Lewis in 1860 and the James Wishart in 1878. Um, Auckland is my home and where I am at the moment, uh, the Waitamata, the ocean, or Hinaro, the mountain. Um, but I've made a home in Wellington and Island Bay where I've lived for almost 20 years now and where my children live. And um, I'd like to acknowledge here my children, <laughs> my son, my daughter, the world's most extraordinary and lovely people <laughs> um, 
so I miss Wellington, but I'm really happy here in Auckland um, in the heat um, at the Sargison residency on Albert Park, um, where I'm writing um, and reading, reading a lot of poetry. Um, and um, and that's it really. I should just, just say um, that the book that has just come out um, is Actions and Travels. And that's the book in which I write about what it is that I love in poetry. Um, my own selected poems, Pasture and Flock um, is, is the other book that introduces me um, and gives a kind of life story and fragments and dreams. So um, this is me, tēnā o, and tēnā koto ngamihi to everyone who is listening, and tēnā koe. <laughs> Kia ora, Anna. It's so lovely to have you here. I keep thinking how wonderful it must be to be up there so close to Auckland University when it's Auckland University Press that has published so many of your beautiful books you know and publish them so beautifully as well yeah yes publish them so beautifully and it does feel like a homecoming and I'm spending a lot of time wandering around the campus but it's closed <laughs> so there are some students sort of drifting wanly around but it's 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 not quite the campus as as I remembered it or would have liked it to have been I yeah I have very happy memories of Albert Park and the university as well and it's so lovely to think of you up there um now you very generously agreed to talk um a little bit about um something that you find funny and I was wondering if um you've chosen an object and um, I think I just asked you to choose something that recently made you laugh or, you know, that you have laughed at at the past or something that brings you joy. And I wonder if you could just describe the object that you've chosen for us today. Yes, it was the first thing that, that came to mind. And I kept trying to think of um, something I might have more to say about, but um, but I couldn't think of anything better than, than the picture that I first thought of that made me laugh and still makes me laugh every time I look at it, which is uh, just a, a scene, a panel from a Peanuts cartoon of Snoopy being a cow. So it's, it's a drawing of Snoopy um, acting out being a cow. He has a kind of slump to his back, a cow-like, sad, dopey look on his face and he's thinking about how stupid cows are how they just stand there <laughs> um stand there in the rain getting wet and he can't understand how cows can be so stupid um, <laughs> and i just i love the way it can be a drawing of a dog and a cow at the same time. It's a dog being a cow <laughs> and you can see the dog and you can see the cow <laughs> and you can see the dog being a cow all at the same time. And it, it just cracks me up every time I look at it. I just realized there's an absolute, um, there's an absolute risk to this series of podcasts is that I just can't stop laughing because <laughs> of your description. <laughs> 
it's just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. And like, you know, like this is what I think is so great about humor. Sometimes when you stop and think about it, it just it escalates how funny it is. It kind of amplifies how funny it is. And I don't know, like, I, I, I don't think I prepped you for this question right off the bat. I'm, I'm being terrible. But this interesting thing of where he is a cow and he is a dog and he is a cow and he is a dog seems very metaphorical you know like that's one of the great yeah. things about metaphor <laughs> isn't it you know like yes it is both at the same time and it's also it's also the cartoonist Charles Schultz drawing both at the same time you know he himself is both being Snoopy and being Snoopy as a cow you know because Snoopy isn't a dog he's a drawing of a dog um but also there was the it's quite interesting to think about the difference because when I First of all, I think I described, I told you what I wanted to send you and I couldn't find it um, because I don't have any of my books up here with me um, of Snoopy being a cow. And you brilliantly, extraordinarily <laughs> found on the internet another panel of Snoopy being a cow. And it's completely different. It's um, it's one where the, the, the children, I want to say, but it seemed... I don't want to say because in the Peanuts cartoons, the children, they are children, but they aren't children. They're not thinking of themselves as children, they're people. You know, it's only as adults that we think of them as children um, and reading the cartoons you're on. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, in that cartoon, they have Snoopy pretending to be a cow for a pageant that they're doing. So Snoopy is a dog pretending to be a cow. And he's absolutely a dog and he's pretending to be a cow by eating a whole lot of hay. <laughs> and it kind of sticks out of his mouth in this completely hopeless, like, like you know, he's never going to, he's clearly not going to eat this hay. It's just sort of sticks it, and he's totally a dog. And I, it, it's just so, the different way he's a dog in each of those panels and the different way in which he's a cow. I don't know where I'm going with that. It's very funny, though. <laughs> I, I I agree. Like I just I just think it's astounding. Like it's that um, yeah, it's that public performance versus a private performance in a lot of ways. Yes, yes, that's what it is. He's being a cow absolutely for himself in the panel in which he's the mopey cow, and he's he's really being the cow. He is the cow. <laughs> Whereas in the other one, he's pretending to be a cow for an audience and is completely a dog pretending to be a cow, which is funny in its own way. But in fact, it's kind of the difference between a joke, which is always for an audience and a poem, which is always, first of all, for the self, perhaps. Mm, yeah, because that was one of the things I was interested in talking to you about. Like, um, you know, the subtitle for your book, Actions and Travels, is How Poetry Works. And I'm thinking, you know, like, I can't quite work out how this works you know like I mean I, I we sort of take it to pieces but that moment that I first saw it and had that instantaneous kind of body reaction to it an emotional reaction to it it did remind me of poetry in a way that um but I want yeah so I guess what I'm asking is do you think there's anything about how jokes work that is sort of tied in or associated with how poetry works I'm just trying to make this big leap yeah it is it is it's Yes, <laughs> yes, it's, I think it's absolutely in that immediate visceral response. And I think that um, that when a poem works, um, it's with that same immediacy that a joke 
works. Um, but I think that um, you were one you <laughs> one of your questions that you haven't asked yet that you were you know that that you had me thinking about was um, whether a whether a poem can follow the same structure as a joke. Um, and yes, I think that. It's, it's in the, the setting up of a surprise, isn't it? That twist, that suddenly turning around so that you see things from, from another perspective. Um, and, but in a, in a joke, that's, that's the end. Um, that, that kind of visceral moment of surprise, um, it, it turns it back and kind of closes a loop. You know, you're expecting this and then you're, you're turned around and and that's what's funny <laughs> um and that's the and, and that's the the end of it the new perspective replaces the first perspective whereas um in in the poem if it works i think you're left haunted you're left still traveling um you don't ever come to the end does that does that make a kind of sense? You're, you're... Yeah, it, it totally does. And like you, you, I've sort of had that mind blowing moment where, um, yeah, I was suddenly thinking like when I think about the poems of mine, you know, a joke does have this slight neat, the punchline is the end, there's a release where you laugh. You know, I mean, and we're talking yeah. very conventional, conventional yeah. humour. Yeah. Well, those, the Snoopy cartoon, it keeps going. So the punchline is that, um, having thought about how stupid cows are standing, <laughs> standing in the field in the, in the rain, Snoopy goes back to his dog kennel and lies on the roof of the kennel and, you know, it's raining and there he is in the rain thinking about how stupid cows are. Um, but, but that's not, to me, that's not what's funny. You know, it's funnier without the punchline mm, to me. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I think I love that idea that the poem continues to haunt and rather than, wrapping itself up in a neat bow it's often that opening out at the end that is what's exciting I wonder if we could talk a little bit about um actions and travels the book um I'm sort of leaping all around here but I just the structure of it is so exciting for me the way that it sort of um uses poems to talk about poems which seems you know logical but then there's also these um writing prompts and uh there's you know that that wonderful I, I love the index I've been playing with the index of it as well like <laughs> indexes are always wonderful I always love indexes indexes are always poems <laughs> yeah so true so true and like I was just thinking like my understanding is that um the book comes from a course that you teach and I'm just wondering why you think it works so well because it does work amazingly well but this combination of writing reading talking what do you think works so well about that when it comes to thinking about poetry and how it works I think you could probably um put almost any set of poems together and <laughs> and just by reading them in relation to each other um every single poem in the set would be illuminated in some way and you'd come out of that reading with some new idea about how how poetry works um that's really what what the course was it started as a summer course um so really short um 
hence poetry, <laughs> because you can read a lot of a lot of poems in an hour. You can talk about several different works by several different writers and and you'll discover something in every poem, but also by talking about a few poems, you'll suddenly think, yeah, that's 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 something that poetry can do. That's something that all of these poems are doing in a way. They're all about loss, or <laughs> they all turn a sudden corner, or you know, they all end on a note of mystery, you know, and then <laughs> Yeah, and like I one of the things that I find um really interesting in the book and I don't know I I I once went to a lecture on um puns like it was a linguistics lecture on puns <laughs> and puns have never been funny for me again like they yeah. were ruined <laughs> and but what I think happens that by and and this is what I feel like with the you know with that one cell that you've chosen it it sort of gets funnier by the talking about it and I kind of feel like that's how the your book works as well like I I just think yeah I don't know this this art or practice of kind of like talking about poems. Do you think that poetry invites that more than some other um, writing? Like you, you've written novella as well as poetry, as well as criticism, as well as personal essay. Do you think there's something about poetry that um, it, it really welcomes that discussion around it? Yes. <laughs> yes, as well as also. So I still, I still think that. You want to hold on to um, that sense that um, that your that that original visceral reaction that you get to a, a poem, you know, that the feel of it, um, the the kind the emotion you feel in response to it, that that sense of it, its kind of color or tone, um, that that you know you you don't you don't need to study a poem to get a poem. Um, any more than you need to, you know, study a pun <laughs> to get a to get a pun. Um, you either get it or or you don't get it. Um, <laughs> but um, but at the same time, um, yes, the poems are so, and and perhaps it's because of the way um, they are haunting in a way that that a pun isn't or a punchline isn't. Um, writing the book for me was a way of slowing down my reading of the poems of allowing me to read them again and again and again and every the, the more I tried to explain what it is that I love about each poem the more I loved it you know these <laughs> I always loved these poems but I love them more for for thinking about them um my favorite pun by the way <laughs> um uh, so I think a pun can be haunting. Um, I just came across a beautiful pun in House and Contents, the new collection by Gregory O'Brien, which is murmurabilia um, for the, the seaweed washed up on a beach and washed up on the beach on the day of the death of Samuel Beckett. So <laughs> kind of um, the poem's about, about so much. Um, and it's just a one-word poem with a title, and the one word is murmurabilia, which <laughs> there is a pun that, um, you know, you could keep returning to. That's amazing. That is amazing. Hey, um, can you talk a little bit about being a poet and reading poetry? It's, it's such, it seems like such a um, weird question, but, um, you know, I have met people 
who don't read while they write and they don't write while they read. But this, I guess what I'm trying to say is what part does reading poetry and and, and considering it and talking about it, what part does that play in your practice of writing poetry? Um, To me, they're almost the same thing in that (laughs) that when when I'm reading poetry, I know I really love it when when I think I want to write like this and I start thinking of the poem that I would write and it's the exact same lines, you know. <laughs> and I, I realise, well, I can't because, you know, Christie's has already written it or, you know, though, um, but they, you, you want to have written the exact lines that you're reading even as you feel them stirring some kind of possibility for um, writing out of your, your, your deepest sense of, self um that's an exceptionally good answer unless you have anything else to say about that only that I think it also works the other way around too that um that when when you're writing poetry when it's it's working when it feels as if someone else is writing it um so you're both writing from your you know your your deepest self (laughs) but your deepest self is always the self that's strangest to you um, so you you write as a reader and you read as a writer, I think, when poetry is working well. Mm. Yeah, because that's, that's one thing that I was interested in with um, the Snoopy cell is that what you've got is Snoopy pretending to be someone that Snoopy is not. And, you know, like we talked about those two ways of sort of um, being cow for um, that, that puppy dog. And um, I wonder about this idea of I I sort of think of it as the speaker of the poem you know like where where the voice is coming from and I just wonder I must admit that it's a failing in me that often when I read an I um, in a poem I automatically think it's the poet and I always feel like the poet is quite a presence in the poetry but um, your book has a couple of examples like people do often write from a persona, don't they? Like they don't always write from their person. Yes, and I don't think it's a failing at all. Um, <laughs> I love, uh, and you know, often when you want to always, um, you know, carefully, academically, trainedly, um, be careful to talk about the speaker of the poem rather than the poet, but often it is the poet, you know, <laughs> it just makes it. It, it makes more more sense to talk about you know that was Keats listening to the nightingale. Um, that's Christie's talking about being a Christie's. <laughs> of course, it's a performance of the self, um, but we're always performing the self, even when when we're talking in a way. Um, but yes, especially in especially so in poetry but the two I don't think they're opposites exactly so that when um when reading a Shakespeare sonnet um I'd much rather think of it as Shakespeare rather than you know a speaker (laughs) that Shakespeare has has invented um but of course it's Shakespeare performing the sonneteer that he's being playing out these emotions on the stage of the sonnet form, um, which doesn't make the emotions any less 
real or any less Shakespeare's own emotions. And, and, and again, it works the other way around too, so that um, when, for instance, um, Viswava Szymborsk is um, conversing with a stone, <laughs> um, she is both speaker in this dramatised, imagined conversation and the stone itself and that obstinacy, the obdurateness of the stone is her own obstinacy that, that, that she's playing out in the poem, as is the, that desperate feeling of wanting access, of wanting to get in, of wanting to find that larger space, the vast halls within, within inside the stone's closed mm. doors. And this, I love this idea because I do feel so much like that and that um, we are always performing, you know, like that, that's so true. Like I was just, and I, sorry, I was just thinking about peanuts when you were talking as well, you know, like when Lucy is the, yeah. you know, the, the therapist and, you know, like, um, you yes. know, like even the absolute yes. performance yes. of the piano playing and, you know, Snoopy as the Red Baron and that kind of thing. And I was just thinking how. Snoopy's never more Snoopy than when he's the vulture. Really. <laughs> it's so true. And like, I just think that um, and this is what I think is so interesting about poetry and that kind of almost um, main line to the sublime that it has, like this, this way that it kind of is able to often, um, like it does, there's something about it that seems to be able to get straight to, um, I don't know if it's past logic, but it does something where it's, it, 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 it kind of, and I do think that in a way it's like laughing, you know, like when I sit down to watch something funny or when I read a, a cartoon, I sort of, my approach to it is slightly more open or something. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts about how poetry does that? Like how it, it sometimes feels more immediate perhaps than other forms of writing. <laughs> I think I always make this mistake as well, where I try to put things in boxes, whereas I think that, you know, you could say the same for some bits of prose, you know, you could say the same for some essay. Like I think that, um, yeah, I think it's a, it, it's a, I, I'm always trying to divide everything up into neat little things. Like this is a poem and poems do this and this is the thing and this does that and this is the thing and that does that. But I wonder, um, I don't know, like I'm always interested in the way that poetry is often able to bring sound and music to the, to the fore as well, you know, like, which I think is interesting when you're reading the Snoopy poem because you're hearing Snoopy's voice in your head, but yeah, like I, I've never, yeah, I know there are other movies, but I've never heard that. I wonder if it is around sound and music and rhythm. It's so funny because when you, because I think, I don't think I've ever heard Snoopy's voice in my head or the vo voices of any of the characters. To me, they're kind of profoundly yeah, and even that thing you said before about them being children and not children, like I was just thinking about how old I think Charlie Brown is. Like I was just thinking, like, and I know that's the joke, is you know, like you know, he's an old man and a young boy's thing. But just that thing, because like even when I first read Peanuts, they were quite, you know, they were from a different era, you know, and um, yeah, it's so bizarre. What do you think it means to read? Um, you know, like I, you mentioned Keats, I think, and I was just thinking about how one of the most profound moments of my life was having had avoided Keats my entire university education, reading him at 40 and sort of going, whoa, 
this person knows where it's at. You know, <laughs> it was just, you know, this person knows what it's like to live now. I don't know. Like, it, that's what I think is one of the great things about your book as well is that, you know, there's poetry that was written like last year. And there's also poetry that was written hundreds of years ago. What do you think it means to put those two together in conversation with each other? I guess that does come back to your <laughs> the question you asked that I didn't answer about immediacy and um, and how how poetry is isn't linear, how it takes you by surprise, how it haunts you like a piece of music. You're not following the logic, you're just feeling it. Um, even when you are following the logic, you're not following it for the sake of the logic, you're following it for the sake of, of the drama. I'm thinking of, you know, in the argument, <laughs> when there's a chapter in the book on poems that are conversations and arguments, and, um, and often, you know, the argument is conducted through a kind of logic, though it's almost always a very illogical logic, but the logic isn't the point. The point is to make um, it's logic in the surface of the poem, which is about that moment, um, that shared moment between two people or between a speaker and a stone or between a wolf and a psychiatrist. Um, so it's 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 about inhabiting a moment and the comedy of that moment, but the comedy also in the service of um, of some deeper feeling as well. Um, I've forgotten what the question was now that we're <laughs> answering. Never ever worry about what the question was. What you have to say is far more interesting than any question I have to ask. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Like I was thinking about how some of those poems in that argument chapter are, um, I don't know, like that they, they, there is humor in them for me and some of them, you know what I mean? Like just that, um, I don't know, there, there's something, it sounds terrible what I'm about to say, but there's something funny in futility maybe. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, the, what, what is funny is about how completely futile these arguments Oh, it doesn't really make any difference whether whether the the argumentative response is is logical or not, whether you win or not. Um, yeah, you you're stuck in these absurd relationships, and all that really matters is is the feeling um, and the dynamic. I suppose it's a, it's yeah, it's a feeling that the argument keeps the feeling moving. So it keeps the poem moving. And I was just thinking, like reading, thinking about that section again, and also thinking about the um, the chapter, which I think is about letters, or it, it's sort of like this conversational mode, like these modes of conversation are often quite good containers to place a poem into, eh? Like they're quite a good um, structure or something for them. Yes, yes. The letters... The letters chapter, it's letters and odes, um, because what I said, what I noticed was poets beginning to use the word dear, <laughs> whether, you know, addressing a person or addressing a tombstone, addressing, um, addressing a boat, addressing the ocean, dear boat, dear ocean, <laughs> um, and, 
a way that seemed very new, but at the same time, um, so exactly the same as the traditional oh horse, <laughs> oh nightingale, oh rose, thou art sick, um, that you know, poets have that poets have always done. That's always been one of the strange <laughs> ways in which poetry is, is comic in a sense, except it's a comedy that um, that asks to be taken seriously. You know, you, <laughs> we really are addressing a rose. And in <laughs> and, and the poem, as in a dream, that makes a perfect kind of sense. You really can talk to roses in poetry. Oh, I just love that. Um, I've just written that phrase down, like comedy that wants to be taken seriously, because I was just thinking of that absurdist. I don't, I don't know much about absurdity, you know, in a theoretical kind of sense, but uh, like that, that um, connection you've made between the poem and the dream and the, um, you know, that this idea that, and, and sorry, going back to Snoopy again, just that idea that, um, you know, in that moment, something is two things at once. It is extremely ridiculous, but extremely heartfelt and often heartbreaking, which I just think is just astounding. And, you know, and I think talking about horses that um, you talk about, Annalise um, Jockham's poem which I think is just called yes, horse you, you know, introduced and like... me to yes yeah oh, really yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't you did. it was it. a poem oh. that you loved that I didn't know that you told me about <laughs> oh, I just love that poem so much but I really I really like um the way like because that is a poem that makes me laugh but yeah. makes yes. me cry yeah, there's, there's an incredible ability to do that, I think, in a lot of the work that's in your book. And absurdity is a good word for it. And um, and thinking about the way dreams work as well. And, it, you know, you, you sometimes wake up out of a dream and laugh at, at the absurdity of it. But when you're in the dream, it made, it all made a kind of often terrible <laughs> Um, painful kind of a, a sense um, and maybe in that way dreams work in the way that poems do in pulling together things that don't belong in the same context but in some kind of emotional way they do belong in the same context there's some psychological connection there that that has a resonance and I was just thinking about also like this thing where we're talking a lot about poems that are kind of doing this I'm making a shape with my hand which is a bad idea because we're audio but you know it's doing this real tightrope walking balancing act um which I think is incredibly energetic when I read it like it, my body just like oh and um but do you think I'm I was trying to think over the week about a poem that is maybe laugh out loud funny like do you think that poets ever think Oh, actually, I was just thinking of Chris Teese's poem about playing. Yes, um, I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. There are no winners when you play cards against humanity with your mum. Were you there? You said it. At, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who was not laughing? But, you know, and it, the, the whole room, like you, you had a whole enormous room of people falling off their chairs you know it's like 
you could hear the chairs falling, you could hear the howls of pain. It was so funny, <laughs> so funny. And and at the same time, I mean, we see we're both remembering it. We're remembering how funny it was, but also how it hurt to laugh physically, but also it takes you into painful territory. You know, it's really... Um, kind of gee it, it, it's absolute genius like I just yeah and like you say like I've actually seen it done twice now and it's just I don't know like that's one thing that I think is amazing about poetry as well is that often when it is read in a group of people yeah. and I imagine in your course yeah. when you study with yeah. a group of people and when people are responding in writing and now the book's up there for conversation there I mean it feels different in different rooms. Like yeah. they're both yeah, yeah, yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, and I think for for comedy, especially, the audience makes such a difference. You know, if you if you're reading a comic poem, you really want Freya Daly Sadgrove in the audience. <laughs> Freya laugh because you feel so funny, and then you get so much funnier, and and the audience finds everything so much funnier. There's a um, there are two brilliant. YouTube recordings of Allen Ginsberg reading America, and that's one of those poems that um, that is is poised in the way that you're talking about between um, allergy and comedy. And it's really interesting to hear the live recording of him reading it to a crowd, and as as the audience begins to laugh, he plays it up more and more and he hands it up and he starts to have fun and, and it becomes a really comic poem. And there's another recording um, and Tom Waits gives a, a soundtrack to the recording and, it's, and it becomes a completely different poem it becomes a lyric poem it becomes um the poem of the poet accessing his deepest thoughts um reading them in such a way that that they become the reader's thoughts that you inhabit the thoughts that you inhabit the feeling that you're haunted by this feeling afterwards um and I think you know those those are kind of the the two poles of that poem um, and a kind of, they give you that, it's that difference between reading a poem alone in a room as if you are the poet and the poem as a performance piece with an audience um, where it becomes funnier, <laughs> often. <laughs> I must, I must say, like I bought, um, I bought um Chris's new book, and I'm, I'm planning, I've been saving it for the Sunday to read it, and I just, yeah, like I'm so looking forward to reading that. I've never actually read it on the page, and I just, I can't even imagine what it looks like on the page. Very looking forward to it. Hey, um, I'm gonna do a totally selfish thing, <laughs> and obviously there doesn't need to be a perfect reply to this, but um, I have always wondered what this word Alec allergy oh, when something's allergic um an allergy is is um is a poem for someone who has died isn't it um when, when something's oh. allergic um so it's that um that note of 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 mourning of of grieving yes 
Um, but I think I also mean it more loosely than that, you know, that that tone, the opposite of the comedic tone. Because it's really, it's such a useful word to me. And like, um, now that you've explained it to me, because I, I keep... I, I did this terrible thing all the way through my university um, education where people would say things and I'd just go, oh, yes, yes. And I'd never look yeah. them up. Yeah, that's what I do reading, reading French. <laughs> so um, so I'm, I can just read French enough to be able to read a story, <laughs> um, but not to know what all the words mean. So, which is kind of wonderful. You know, <laughs> it sort of offers a poetic reading in a way that you, you read these um, these stories that have this added kind of mystery because you know someone's carrying around um, le glomp and, and you don't know what it is but it's like sort of, you know, there, are, there are all these kind of objects that or you know the, these mysterious people come and go in ways that you don't quite understand but but you get a sense of, of the word because it appears again and again so I'm, I'm very much and I love those words that you don't know what they mean but you know the places they have traveled yeah because I think that's the thing like I always knew um it's really funny because I think the tone came with yes. allergy for yes. me but not yes. the yes. you know not yeah. not the other thing um I think I've just got one final question which is to go back to that idea of a funny poem and I just wonder um this is this is one of those stupid questions that is I mean you can't answer for everyone but what are some of the reasons that a poet might want to write a funny poem or want might, might want to use some of the structures I'm thinking I, I think I said this to you but I, I was really interested in two poets that I could think of that have used limerick to talk about actually very serious things but I just wonder like why why is humour useful, do you think, in poetry? So you're thinking of Nick Ascroft's grief limericks, which are, yeah, yeah so yeah. extraordinary. And, you know, and, and the kind of, the joke of the poem, if it's a, if you can call it a joke, which I think it is, is, is that it's funny to write such a um, personal elegiac poem about the, the death of his father and the depth of his own grief in the form of a limerick, which has such a jaunty rhythm and, you know, is, is the form that we know is a form for telling usually not, you know, not terribly good jokes and like, because the joke's always just sort of part, part of the joke is always just the rhythm, that it's a funny rhythm in itself. Um, but that poem, when I first, it hit me so hard because, you know, first of all, I thought, oh, you can't, you know, Grief, you, you can't. That's you know, and I, I thought you shouldn't. You know, <laughs> really, you, you're going to write grief limericks, and then when it, when you felt the reality and the depth of the grief, and that it was, and that he, that it was, so real and so powerful that it could be expressed in such a form. Um, I did actually laugh and cry as I read. It. You know, you say, you know, I laughed till I cried, or I cried and I laughed, and I and I did. I was like actual tears, you know, I, I truly wept with true feeling. And I laughed as well at the, just the absurdity of writing such a thing. Um, and I think when um, comedy in a poem, it, it, you know, as, as you said, a, a response to a joke is immediate, it's visceral, you know, you laugh, it's a bodily reaction. And, 
Um, and you always want to move readers when you write poetry and a joke in a comedy cat, it's, it's an immediate way to do that. Um, but when it, when it works well, um, it will access other emotions with it, you know, as when um, Chris T takes us into the furthest reaches of shame <laughs> and embarrassment, um, or when Hera Lindsay Bird um, takes you into the kind of performed and performative, but um, <laughs> almost the more felt because of that um, feelings of, you know, overwhelming passion <laughs> and, and the fear that, that that comes with being in love, the vulnerability, um, you know, sets you up that with a whole series of jokes. You're laughing along, you're laughing along, and, and then you're laughing at the confession of absolute vulnerability as well, and you're still laughing, but, you know, you've gone beyond laughter, but the laughter takes you there in such a, I mean, you're so present in your own response that you know that that presence <laughs> carries you through into into all the emotions that that the poem takes you into oh my gosh I just love that oh my gosh that is I don't know sorry I, I that is such a good taste for how great your book is you know what I mean like this it is such a pleasure to be in your mind while reading actions and travels and just yeah like um and just to return to the poems again and then you know there's this great sort of like hyperlinking process that happens as well where you'll talk about one of say um uh Rebecca's poems and then you know you can go and look at all of Rebecca. Yeah. yeah I hope that's what will happen I think it will I think any, yeah, anyone reading one Rebecca Hawke's poem for the first time is going to want to find more and um yeah and there that is what's so wonderful about the internet, isn't it? You know, you, you can follow up a new discovery. Yeah, it's so good. And I was just thinking about um, Nick Ashcroft. Sorry, just to go yeah. back to that. I was thinking about how so often I've sat and listened to Nick reading a poem that's in a serious form and cracked yeah. up. And then, you know, then he does, the, you know, it's his limerick poems that I think have made me yeah. cry more than any of the others. It's just so, yeah, it's genius. Oh, my gosh. So many clever people. Oh, thank you so much, Anna. It's been so lovely to talk to you. I just feel energized and excited. And I just want to, I'm really looking forward to sitting down and reading my poetry on Sunday. I think it'll be oh, very nice. It is, it is going to be beyond nice. <laughs> it's the most extraordinary book, Supermodel Minority. I have been um, <laughs> just, um, you know, kind of drowning in, in this book and the best kind of overwhelming way it's it's on beyond even even as other two books we are in a wonderful time to be alive yeah. aren't we yeah, like we are. <laughs> this year just seems like yeah. <laughs> this year just seems like the year of the bulb thank you so much anna and have a really lovely afternoon you too thank you for talking poetry with me <laughs> always my favorite thing